Hey, welcome back to Pints and Perspectives, a podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church, where we believe there is a plethora of theological perspectives and plenty of beer to go around. Yo, 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 it's your boys back again. It's that time for the Pints and the Perspectives. I mean, uh, you know, not as many perspectives as we would like. Perhaps we should bring on more. Uh, With that said, go ahead and like and subscribe so that we can make some money on this thing so that we can buy a third microphone so that we can have a third perspective. Uh, Yes, a perspective of a person of color and a woman would be a dream. Yes, yes. Um, So come through, make it happen for us. If you want to see more diversity on this podcast, uh, how can can listeners and viewers contact us? IG is going to be the best way, I think, for both of us. What's the handle? What's the what's the your uh, handle? The com oh well at Cheney underscore AJ. But what's the uh, at Cullen? You just changed yours. Cullen J. Ware. You know, a Gen Zer told me that the use of handle was old, outdated, and so millennial, and it's not the appropriate thing to call that. What should we call it? Account an at account name. Oh, okay. Whatever. Which I'm like, that's so boring. Whatever. I, I'm, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, uh, hello then. Welcome back. Um, that's all I got. There's your intro. I do still have buttons, uh, and I hope you've enjoyed them. We did ask for people to give us ideas of what sounds they want imported in. Yeah. Uh, no one has. <laughs> So we need somebody to do that. Somebody uh, do that. Somebody do let that. Let us know. I did get quite a bit of feedback that people enjoy the buttons. They add a level of yes. lightheartedness to it, which I think is good. Yes. Um, okay. So beer. We- Adam brought these beers. Uh, that's right. Because Cullen is just falling down on the job. No, so, I have two. I had half of them. Yeah. Well. Mm. Yeah. I had half of what we needed for today. And I just. Didn't have time to go to the store. Today, I'm working with a St. Arnold, the uh, 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 Texas Original Craft Brewery, uh, the Rich and Robust Tarnation, Unreasonably Strong Ale. Womp, 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 womp. Oh, wait. I have I have uh, things for this. Let's see. What, what do people... Uh, no, that's not right. Okay. Figure out the buttons later. Tarnation. Um, it's a strong ale. So what's a strong ale? A strong ale is a type of ale usually above 5% ABV and often higher than 7% to 11% ABV, which spans a number of beer styles, including old ales, barley wine ales. Uh, but so this beer is just listed as a strong ale and it is nine percent alcohol by volume so we're gonna get turnt uh this monday afternoon (laughs) on this monday afternoon uh it it yeah i don't know what else to say about it i've never had it uh it is a seasonal beer i think it's seasonal um they don't i know they don't always carry it um it says see we brewed tarnation just for you and your wild bunch to enjoy all year round so i guess maybe it's not seasonal then uh it's made with four different malts four different hops and is nine percent abv and will be darned if it ain't one of the highest alcohol recipes ever kicked up with kolsch yeast oh so i don't know we're, we're gonna see if i make it through the episode <laughs> okay all right, we're going to see if you make it through the episode. I think he'll be all right. I think I'll be all right. What are you uh, drinking? I have um, an IPA from Platypus Brewing, which 
If you listen, I don't know if it was one or two episodes ago. It may have been the last episode, like just the most Platypus did not get a great review because Cult's they had the wrong URL printed on their oh, can. yeah, that's right. <laughs> and it's the same again. Oof. <laughs> this is <laughs> absurd. Absurd. Well, you know. Starting up a new business is hard, and uh, it's been open since 2016. As someone who produces, I'm not giving. I'm not giving. <laughs> as someone who produces content, uh, specifically copy on a daily basis, you know sometimes typos get through all the best checks and balances. Yeah, yeah. Well, but no grace here. Uh, well, you know this is a very simple marketing issue. <laughs> I mean, it, you've got <laughs> website. You, you've got enough. History to have eight established labels on your website, and yeah, you no, don't fair. have your cans representing that's your fair. accurate URL. No, uh, fix it. Don't, don't apologize. Do better. Don't apologize. Do better. Uh, anyways, this is an IPA. I am excited about it. It's a seasonal release IPA. Uh, it's called the Gold Coast, and it's eight percent ABV. So hey, we get we get turned on this Monday afternoon. Turned on this Monday. All right, cheers, All right, buddy. Well, cheers. Cannon bottle. Mm. Mm -hmm -hmm. Holy crap! Incredible. Bitter. Uh, you know, they said that they're using four malts and four hops. Yeah. <laughs> uh, truth. <laughs> Facts. Um, it is a kick in the face in terms of the hop. Uh, it's not like, like sometimes, you know, hops can be like real crisp and bitter. Yeah. Or even like fruity and bitter or like even like um, like like a, a lot of people describe hops these days like as juicy and bitter. This is just like flat out bitter, just like yeah. bitter. Um, it's hot. It's got a little bit of alcohol on the breath uh, and it's malty and rich and thick. And, um, you know, they call it tar nation for a reason. Yeah. It's just doing all the things I do. The one thing that sticks with me is the hops and there's. Uh, I it, it's not that great on the finish. It, it's a little too. I guess I'm still holding on to like a little bit of vanilla on the on the finish as well um, on the back of my palate, but the bitterness is really sticking around. But uh, unreasonably strong ale, rich and robust. All facts. All facts. Very good. I give it a. I give it an eight. Oh, it's great. Look good, at that. Very good beer. Look at that. Look at that. Uh, Saint Arnold. Killing it again. It's so good. Yeah. It's you, so good. If you have not had the pleasure of drinking a St. Arnold's brew, you it's it's worth the trip to Houston. Definitely. And the brewery itself um, is an incredible time. Great place to hang out. Okay. So I've talked about IPAs needing to uh, head out of their can. Look at that. Go to YouTube right now. Uh, this is killing it. Uh, I didn't even get to search the aromas before I had to put some, uh, take a Look drink at that thing. because it's, it headed out. It is exploding. Um, <laughs> the 
They're on Washington, right? Oh, yes. yeah. It's very good. It's very good. I will say, unfortunately, I think it's pretty run of the mill. There's okay. nothing. There's nothing really. It's seasonal, yeah. Yeah, it's seasonal. Which you know, you should if you were gonna make something seasonal, it better be it good. Should have some flair. You better be doing something different. And this, I'm not sure, really is for me. Um, which one is it? This is the Gold Coast. Gold probably, Coast. Gold yeah, Coast. Yeah, probably not even on their website. It oh, is there right it there. Eight percent. Yeah. Yeah, eight percent ABV. Light bodied IPA. That's your problem. Uh, but I would disagree. I'm not sure that it is all mm. that light bodied. Hmm. It's eight percent ABV. It can't be that light. Well, fair. Yeah. So, how's the alcohol on it? It was. Is, I mean, is it okay? So it's not real hot. Okay. It doesn't taste hot, and so maybe that's what they mean by it. But, um, citrus tones from kettle and dry hops. No. Citrus tones from kettle and dry. Yeah, they. It. It probably is dry hopped. It. It tastes like it would have. It could be dry hopped. Um, Which might explain some of the kind of, uh, what did they call it? Um, uh, well, balance. <laughs> well, yeah, if you dry hop, it kind of takes away. I mean, it, it, it is a balancing measure, but it kind of makes like the hop. Yeah. The, the middle balance rather right. than the malt, which right. is what you're really trying to do when you talk about balancing right. beer out. Um, <laughs> they have a beer called Ole Cheat. I think it's Holy Chit. Yeah. Uh, Inappropriate. Yeah, I think I'm like five eight. Okay. Whoa, five eight. Yeah. That's that's low on the Cullen scale. Well, I really do like beer, and I try to <laughs> I really try to start everything at a six eight. Like it, it just everything nah. begins at a six eight and goes up or down. Understood. And I gave the beer a five eight regardless of how I feel about the <laughs> URL issue. If we include that, I think it should drop by three. Holy mess. I mean, it's, yeah, it's not my favorite. I mean, it's not like they misspelled their name. I mean, I don't know. Maybe close enough. Uh, you know what? Be better. <laughs> don't apologize. Do better. All right. Uh, artless transition. Hey, now it's time to talk about theology. It no, is that's, now that's time terrible. That's a to terrible talk book. about theology. We got to get these things fixed. <clears throat> what are we talking about today, Colin? Uh, we're going to talk about this God character. Character. Oh, yeah. You're going to like tell a story or something. Yes. I want. Also, Cullen's into Rubik's Cubes now, and there's like these new Rubik's Cubes everywhere he goes, and they're they're nice looking. Well, so, okay. Quick side story. Um, I was I was trying to figure out why I've become fascinated with Rubik's Cubes. Okay. Number one, because I never had one when I was a kid. Come on, I Kevin. Think. What are you doing? Well, this is why you were working, not playing. Ain't well, that right? Mend the fence, boy. It, irregardless of how you <laughs> feel about it or not, I think toys like this were a toy of people of privilege, uh -huh. which I didn't have. Waste of time. Well, and it also requires safety. It, it requires that you be in a place where you feel comfortable dedicating attention oh. to looking down at a cube and irregardless of what's happening around you um, and hours of time to try to figure it out. Uh -huh. Yeah, I just, I didn't have those kind of luxuries. Wow. And now as an adult, getting the opportunity to really like 
think about them in ways of problem solving, yeah, I'm like, I you cannot, have the you have I the cannot space. get enough. Uh, why didn't you buy actual Rubik's cubes? These look like off brands. Is this because they were cheaper on Amazon? No, these are speed cubes. Speed cubes, so they're made for doing it faster. Uh-huh. Okay, well, look, see, so he got interested in a task and suddenly went, you know what? I want to be the fastest at it. Something like that. Yeah, go ahead. Who's this God character? <laughs> Who's this God character? Okay. Um, I have been making this claim that God is fighting a war. Mm-hmm. Yep. And that, that that main foundational premise helps set a trajectory of the biblical story that I think significantly better core to the narrative. Yeah. And we have, we have tracked that through Genesis one, mm-hmm. two and three, you know, roughly in and around this entire thing. Um, but my main argument is that God creates and that in the beginning that, that when they create, there's a um, dichotomy of sorts that begins with water and darkness. Yes. And those begin to be motifs that at least throughout a lot of the Old Testament Chaos. and some of the New Testament. Yeah, so the waters, the deep, as they're called in Genesis 1, uh, the deep are chaos. They uh-huh. they ancient jewish literature reflects literature reflects them in a in a negative light that's the, that's what houses leviathan right gotcha. the sea dragon people you know israelites don't sail right in the old testament they're land people right so they're afraid of the water right you have stories like jonah i guess except for uh, on the sea of galilee which is a lake. Which is a lake. By the it's way, it's not. It's not actually sailing. No, it's yeah. I mean, it, it does have like wind gusts and stuff. Like they do use sails. Yeah, but, but it's an enclosed it's a, body of water. Correct. It's an. You're it's, not in open water. It is not a sea. Uh, I've, no. Not to, not to uh, boast too much, but I've been there. Yeah. You can see all the sides of it. It's yeah. a lake. Yeah, it's <laughs> it's definitely a lake. So yeah, it. Well, and specifically in the Old Testament, right? Innovation by the time of the New Testament, Paul's sailing all over the place. Yeah, so well, it, it's Ro- a little bit... Romans in power at that point. Yeah, 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 yeah. So I want to track some of this story of God through the Old Testament because I think, I think it would be helpful because I think it's pretty common for people to have these kind of stories of the Old Testament kind of floating around as like logical data points in their mind, but not really having a way to construct them in some kind of meaningful, concise um, comic strip, for lack of a better term. Yeah, narrative arc. A storyboard. Yeah, storyboard. Yeah, Yeah, I like it. Um, So we're going to do that. Genesis 1, 2, and 3, I'm going to skip because we've kind of already done that. And I don't know how many episodes this is going to be because I don't know how long it's going to be, but heads up, it's going to be long. So I don't know. Yeah. And I guess I'm going to retract what I just said. (laughs) Uh, Adam applauded and he had no idea what I was retracting. (laughs) He's in for it. Oh, no. I think I'm going to retract my statement that we're going to skip over Genesis 1, 2, and 3. Oh! <laughs> and I think we're going to spend 
uh, some time looking at them briefly because what I want to show you is Genesis 1 through 11. Okay. I think Genesis 1 through 11, I would call it myth. So mm-hmm. what, do, what do I mean by that when I say myth? Um... I don't really know, like just like an like an oral tradition handed down. Uh, that is, I don't know what's the definition of myth. I, I I honestly don't know how to define that. I mean that it's a myth the way that like Santa stor- Claus is a myth. Yeah, I mean that it's a myth the way that the Easter Bunny is a myth. Like like a, like a like a like a generationally transmitted f- story of something. It's I don't know. yeah, some kind of lore-based story that you can glean certain truths from. Ah, because okay, because it, te- it teaches something. A traditional story, especially one connecting, oh, sorry, especially one concerning the early history of a people, or explaining some natural or social phenomenon, typically involving supernatural forces or events, uh, <laughs> widely held as false. Yeah. But <laughs> but what I mean by it is it can be um, a tr- I can glean truth from the story without having to take the story as factual. Yeah, myth is a lore genre consisting of yeah. narratives that play a fundamental role in society yep. uh, yeah, to teach. Cool. Exactly. Okay. So that's what I mean when I say myth. And I believe like I believe Job is myth. Sure, sure. I sure, believe sure. Genesis one through eleven is myth. Sure. So I believe the historical story of Israel, sure, which is what the Bible is telling, begins in Genesis chapter twelve with Noah. Got it. Or sorry, with Abraham. The reason that I want to point that out is because I think that's very important. Because. Genesis 1 through 11, I'm going to argue, is a threefold repetitive pattern mm-hmm. of power and the, see- and the seeking of power. Okay. And that will be, when, once you see what I see that way, it will make so much else make sense. Because we're still talking about the problem of evil. Right. And part of the problem of evil always begins with power it's always omnis right power we're we're always talking about the yeah always about power it's true so isn't it always in genesis 1 you get this construct that there is darkness Mm -hmm. just darkness and the deep is what it appears to be it's literally just dark and water Mm -hmm. um and God happens upon it and lights it up and then adds land and from the land, animals and creation. And so what I think the real truth that Genesis 1 is trying to tell you, it's not that God made the earth in seven literal days. I mean, how can you even calculate a day until you get the sun, which you don't get until day one? Right. I mean, like nobody's trying to communicate that with this story. But what I do think they're trying to communicate to you is that God is the originator Mm. of what we now know as the world. And the things that brought that God brought into existence were life. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. God Mm -hmm. did not bring about the deep. God did not bring about the darkness. God did not bring about the chaos. God brought forth life in light of 
the darkness. Mm, I don't know, man. I'm dubious. You can be dubious. Can I, w- I want to know how you're defining water there because water is the source of life. Well, in what ways is water the source of life? <clears throat> well, I just mean like um, the chemical like uh, reaction of hydrogen and oxygen. Mm-hmm. And then. Yeah. I mean, I don't, I don't, I mean. But you also realize that you're defining an element of water that I don't believe was what God found. Oh, right. So that's what I'm saying. How are we defining this water you speak of? It's not H2O. Uh, well, it's salt water. It's the deep. It's the open water. Is it's the, ki- the Dead Sea. It's the water that's not useful to us except to cool the earth. Is the, is the chemical composition of freshwater and saltwater different? Of course it is. It has salt in it, yes. What is the... Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Proceed. So, anyways, you go through, and that's chapter one. God creates all this stuff, and... When God creates humans, God creates them equal. Okay. In Genesis chapter 1, the only description that we get is in verse 26. Then God said, let us make humankind in our image according to our likeness and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over the cattle and over the wild animals of the earth. 27, so God created humankind in his image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. There is no isolated stories of Adam being made and then existing for a period without Eve and then Eve being made. Mm -hmm. In Genesis chapter 1, they are made together. And the first command they are given is not one of omission the thing you cannot do Mm -hmm. it's one of commission the thing you must do do you remember what it is adam make babies hey and the lord said hallelujah i mean i mean that's how we translate it but like being fruitful and multiplying them and god said to them be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the air and over every living thing that moves upon the earth advance the species in unison and harmony with the uh, with 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 everything else that's around it yeah yeah exactly the the nature that is around it that's the first picture you get close scene Mm -hmm. that's genesis chapter one genesis chapter two is a different creation story yes i just okay i'll go ahead and say it can we just all please stop with the hermeneutical jump rope games of trying to join them together and the weird way that we use that Hebrew participle or uh, that Hebrew uh, preposition to try to say that it's okay that they're out of order? It's not. You have to syncretize everything, man. They are different stories. Yeah. They're just simply yeah. different stories. The ordering's different. What happens is different. They're just different stories because they're not trying to communicate exactly the same truth. Right. Genesis chapter one is trying to tell you what creation is. Ah. That it is a place that God intended to be life giving, life breeding, life bearing. All of creation. All of creation. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Genesis chapter two told you why. For the, for the advancement of the species 
in harmony with nature. Well, for community, for fellowship, for enjoyment of one another. Mm, okay. Because that's why you get now in chapter two, which I will tell you if you read your right, if you read the correct Bible, <laughs> you'll get a little subheading right here that says another account of the creation. Another. Another, a different one, a different account of the same creation. Mm. And this is where you get this concept where Adam is made and then he's given some commands to do, to work and do some things. That's because this is about giving order and structure to society. This okay. gets you more into a, hey, here's why and how. What I might say is, yeah, what I might say is I would believe that if you were going to break it up this way, Genesis 1 is the theological claims yeah. about God, yeah. and Genesis 2 is the practical, what does it mean okay. about creation? Like, what do we do with these theological claims? This is how it's being written, okay? And in Genesis chapter 2 is where they're given the commands of omission, the things you cannot do. You cannot eat of the tree that's in the middle of the garden, knowledge of good and evil. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Uh, but the tree of life is also in there. Mm -hmm. So, and they're free to eat of that and anything else they want, right? Also, no, no death. Mm. They can't eat an animal. They're not permitted to eat an animal. Okay. They cannot commit death. Okay. Genesis chapter three. Oh, go ahead. No, I just don't. Okay, there, we have to suspend so many things that we understand about the scientific... No, see, stop. <laughs> okay, okay. Why are you trying to make them have scientific claims okay, 4,000 years ago? Okay, go ahead. They're telling a story. <laughs> okay. When you read Shakespeare, do you hold him to the same scientific claims you hold the Bible to when you read its stories? <sighs> I think a better analogy there would be when I watch Star Wars, do I hold it to the same scientific claims? So or no. when you read the Odyssey or the Iliad. Sure, no. Not at all. Then why do you insist on always holding the Bible to those same presuppositions? Yeah. Maybe <laughs> maybe it's a bad story. It's not a bad story if you read it as a story, okay, but ahead. you still don't. Go ahead. That's okay. why we're here. Now... Genesis 3 comes. What happens in Genesis 3, Adam? Well, I guess them humans uh, fall victim to the trap that is set by their creator. Oh, is that what happens? Yeah. Yeah. I mean, he says, hey, I put this tree out here. Don't mess with it. Did God put that tree there? Well, he created all things. He spoke all things into the being. He read Genesis 1 and 2. Didn't he put all the things in all the places and say all the things and create all the things and day this and day that. And it was good and it was very good. Uh, but is the tree of knowledge of good and evil a good thing? Uh, or but, is it an evil thing? So wait, wait, wait. But, 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 but then you're saying that if God didn't create the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, then it was pre-existent along with no, the salt water. Well, there, no, but what I am saying is that if, you're accepting my premise that there's a counterpart adversary to God that uh -huh. we have called ground of death. Then they also have as their existing creative power. 
in some ways so the tree of life and the tree no okay let, let's just the tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil was created and planted uh so to speak by not god well it can't be holy god because my argument would be god knows no evil except when evil is done to them or their people so even god has not eaten of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil God only knows what is good and therefore can only do what is good. God knows not what is bad until it's done and entered into existence. Mm. And so to have a tree of knowledge of good and evil would mean at least some impartation from adversarial force to get evil in said fruit. If you were going to hold it to some kind of literal reading like that. Okay. Following? You're a heretic, but go ahead. I'm not. Okay. What, sure. what council tells me that I'm a heretic? Okay. <laughs> uh-huh. Come on. Come on. Okay, go ahead. All right. So this gets in there and you end up having the serpent show up. Mm-hmm. A strange all- creature that we we do not know anymore. I, yeah. I mean, the Hebrew is so like serpents all we got. And we know that it was, it had like legs or something. It had legs and it walked up, right? It, it Dex calls it, you know, it's hard to translate, but like beautiful or fair, maybe handsome. Like it's a, like it's a, a cunning. Yeah. It's like, I don't know the ancient world's idea of a con man. And it's, somehow yeah. it's, it, it is not human, but it's able to communicate with humans somehow, some way, something. Well, I think that's intentional. That yeah. it is other. It is other. It is alien to humans. Ooh, extraterrestrial. Well, I'm not. Well, I'm not. Ooh. I don't know if I would say extraterrestrial. Maybe I would say that. Did it come from another terrestrial? Uh, Was it created? Is it the? It is create. I would say it is created. Is it the physical embodiment of this not God ground of death thing? Nope. So God made it? No, God didn't make it, but I'm not... But it was here before? Where'd it come from? Well, so that's my thing, is I think Ground of Being has some, like, creative powers in that same way. Like, think about screw tape letters. Like, I do think they have the power to create and orchestrate and move pieces of the chessboard in the same way that God does. And so I do, like, I don't have a struggle saying that they helped create a temptation there and some kind of tempter, which we've said is the existing consistency of Hasatan, which later becomes the embodiment of this character. Yeah, which tracks with, yeah. Okay. So Genesis 3 shows up, all of this happens, and when they eat of the fruit, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, Man, I could preach about so many things in here. Um, But I do think I need to highlight this because it's important to a piece moving forward. Is this is the moment when they eat the fruit that they realize they're naked. Uh Uh-huh. Okay? That's real important. Uh Uh-huh. Because the end of Genesis 2, the last verse of Genesis 2, is that the man and the woman were both naked and unashamed. Unashamed. And then purity culture got a hold of them. Well, God, no. <clears throat> Why were they ashamed? So this is a this is the question that you have is they, when they eat the fruit, mm-hmm. they now realize that they they've done the thing God told them not to do, and they experience shame. Now, what is shame? 
Shame is twofold. It's not guilt. Mm. Guilt says, I've done a bad thing. Mm. Shame says, because I've done a bad thing, I am a bad thing. And it's a projection of your own ideas about yourself onto the person that you wronged because notice, God Uh, hasn't shamed them yet. They projected onto God. They projected shame onto God. Now, okay. because they did do something wrong, okay. and there definitely is guilt, there is at fault, uh-huh. they did something God said don't do. That's now, true. let me also say, God did not say, if you do this, I will punish you by. He said, if you do this, you will surely die. Oh. And is God the author of death? Does God control death or does God control life? Well, um, all the uh, ex-evangelicals... <laughs> would argue that uh, your uh, the evangelical reading of this narrative would suggest that God is the author of death in this very moment. Well, I'm not asking for an evangelical reading. I'm asking for the biblical I, reading. Did Genesis right now in this story tell you that God was the no. author of life or death? No. 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 God did not cause death upon these people. But isn't God his curse? Said, if you do this, you will die. You will surely die. Not I will smite then, thee. Right. Now that they disobeyed God, what happened to them was they will now experience death. Yes. God's punishments to them, the man, the woman, the serpent, and the earth that God created right. are punitive yes. for the guilt. Okay. No shame. The shame is their own creation, which will come to later importance in the next area of this series when we talk about the human perspective and how this impacts all of us. Okay. Okay. So, going forward, when when that happens, God issues four four curses that the serpent will no longer upright walk upright it will crawl on its belly it'll eat dust that its heel will its head will be crushed by the heel lots of things that get that happen there'll be enmity between you and the man the man is cursed that he will now have to sweat and labor for his work that the the crops will not grow in abundance the way they once did eve is cursed in that childbearing not that it's a new thing but only that now it will be painful oh okay that's the real curse is that now it will be painful to you which my argument to the reason it's not like that they haven't had any kids yet because why would you tell someone something that they've never experienced Mm -hmm. that it used to not be painful, but you didn't know that, and now it is painful, and now that's all you'll know. That doesn't seem that doesn't accomplish anything. Yes. Okay. So you have to. Somebody has to have a reference point for something in order for you to tell them that it's going to be worse for it to matter. Okay. Understood. So, uh, and then the fourth curse is kind of like a byproduct curse of actually the curse that's issued to the man. And it's issued to the ground, the earth, which is it will now bear thorns and thistles. It, it, it will now have negatively impacted growth that comes from it. Okay. Um, I, I was reading the Hebrew. 
I was sitting while you were talking. I was trying to. I was parsing out the Hebrew of three fourteen because my 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 response was going to be like when he it, when the curses are issued, who's issuing the curses? God is. God's issuing the curses. So God is the curser. God is the one issuing the punishments for the guilt. And the punishments are. That they did what God told them not to do. But the punishments are suffering in ways. In ways, yeah. There's there's negative consequences for them disobeying God. So who's the author of suffering? Oh, God. Okay. But not evil. Okay. So the problem of evil, suffering is not evil. Evil is something different. Well, but suffering is caused by evil. And that's why when God says, I've got to right all this wrong, even wrong that I've done, I must be the one to go and endure evil and suffer and conquer said evil and suffering. Okay. Whatever. Go ahead. Come on. So Genesis chapter four shows up. Okay. What, what's four? What happens in four? Uh, oh my gosh! Two they, degrees they, over here, and you can't. Is this when they get kicked out? No, that's three, bro. This is when they have a baby. No. Oh yes. Uh, then Cain and Abel. Yes. Okay. So it's Cain and Abel. Okay. Now, what I will say about this is Genesis one through three becomes this kind of like capsule story. Got it? Because you're talking about a. Uh, a typological movement that yes, keeps happening. Yep. It's a, yeah, it's a type. So this happens, and you get it from their actual rebellion. Okay. Because the serpent does show up and tempts them. Says, did God say you would die? Right. And puts a little bit of doubt, and then they eat. And once they eat that, that is a move of power. Mm-hmm. Because what the serpent's temptation is... He says, did God say you would really die? Verse four, but the serpent said to the woman, you will not die for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now, here's my argument. Everything they've ever been told is to be like God. Oh, the only thing they've ever been told is that they're made in the image and likeness of God and that they should be like God in procreation and bearing life and having dominion. Dominion, that's not a that's not a word in the way that we would use it now. It is a dominion word in a, in a rulership way. They're before. like the operations director of the nonprofit. Yeah, but the first time it's ever used, the word's actually about the stars having dominion. Oh. So it's really about this like rulership of goodness, this like having dominion and bringing about goodness into the world. (laughs) And so when the serpent tempts them, he says, that's not what will happen. You won't die. You'll be like God, the thing you were told to do. So them stepping outside of God's intention for their own intention of what God wants them to do and what it's like to be like God, they pursue power. Mm. So that's the punitive part, and that's why the punishment happens. So they pursue power in that moment. Genesis 4. Okay. 
It's a pursuit of power, pursuing attention from God. Yes. Cain and Abel. Cain, this is the first, oh, maybe this is the other thing I should say. This is the first time we're ever told that people are different. Okay. Everything else is that they were created in the image and likeness of God. They were male and female. They were this. They together. Not here. What is it? Abel is a keeper of sheep and Cain is a tiller of soil. They're different. Yeah. They're doing something different. They have different jobs. And one does something and the other one makes an offering. And God says one is better than the other, not because of substance, but because of heart, because of disposition, because of pursuit of divine likeness. Sin is crouching at your door, Cain. It desires you. See, sin is personified there. Go ahead. And Cain kills him for it. Yeah, which kills his brother. That escalated quickly. He, yeah. So the first sin recorded in the Bible, eating some fruit that you weren't supposed to eat. The second sin, murder. Murder. Moida jumped all the way to utmost harm to an individual. What's the word for killing your brother? Patricide is when you kill your dad. Matricide is when you kill your mom. Phileocide. I don't know. Go ahead. So once that happens, you can see that that is a harming, a lateral harming of one another for ascent up to God. Ah, murder for power. Murder for power. Okay. And specifically who we're trying to get power to is God. Yeah, right? we want to be trying, like God. We want to be like God. We want God to like us. Okay? So that's four. Okay. The rest of four and five is a genealogy. Yep. You can go through that. Let sure. me just go the ahead and say. The father of Enosh, and after he became the father yeah. of Enosh, Seth lived 807 years in here. <laughs> And so Seth lived on Boo. for 912 years, and then Nobody he died. Nobody wants to read that. When Enosh was 90 years old, he became the father of Kenan. Go ahead. Sorry. The reason it's in there is I think even if you found some records, it, it would probably be off. I don't think the accuracy is what it's trying to communicate. Yeah, but as a kid, weren't you told that like... The, oh, 1,000%. I was told that you could track all of these to come up with the exact number of years of how old the Bible was. Exactly. And in then, the world. And then you get to verse 18, and uh, Jared was 162 years old and became the father of Enoch. And uh, then we all go crazy because we love Enoch because... Uh, he Enoch, never dies. E- well... He Enoch in verse 24 walked with God and then ascended was no more. Yeah. Ascended because God took him away. Yep. Ascended. He did not die. Mm -hmm. He is only one of three characters in the Bible to have ever ascended. But anyways, the genealogy is not really of its of real importance. Oh, and all the old Testament professors die a little inside. The value of the genealogy is to show you that many, many years have passed and the world has been populated. Yeah. That God's command to humanity has been fulfilled, that it has been fruitful and multiplied. It's also like a little bit of a fast forward button because they got to get yep. from Cain and Abel to Noah. And the genealogy ends 
And chapter 6, verse 1 begins with, When people began to multiply on the face of the ground, and daughters were born to them, the sons of God saw they were fair, and took them wives for them, took, and they took wives for themselves of all that they chose. Then the Lord said, My spirit shall not abide in mortals forever, for they are flesh. Their days shall be 120 years. The Nephilim were on the earth in those days, and also afterward, when the sons of God went into the daughters of humans who bore children to them. These were the heroes that were of old, warriors of renown. The Lord saw the wickedness of humankind was great in the earth, and that every inclination of the thoughts of their heart was only evil continually. And the Lord was sorry that he had made humankind on the earth, and it grieved him to his heart. So the Lord said, I will blot them out from the earth the human beings I have created, people together with animals and creeping things and birds of the air, and I am sorry that I have made them. But Noah found favor in the sight of the Lord. I think it's important to note here that the first thing that you're told is that God's command was fulfilled and it went to straight, absolute shit. Wickedness. Dumpster fire on repeat. <laughs> it's terrible. God was a bad creator. Or the tempter was real good. A really good job. a really good tempter. Yeah, because there is a verse here. Uh look, you got me reading the Bible. Uh Genesis six five ends with um every inclination of thought uh and of their heart was altogether completely evil. They now know no more good. All of the time. They know no more good, which is problematic. <laughs> I'd say. And the other thing that I might tell you is that the first thing you're told about God's response mm -hmm. is God's emotion. God regretted. Uh, God if, was sorry. God yeah. felt that before they acted on that. Yeah, it's interesting. I, and I was just reading the hebrew of that verse and it like the hebrew is very emphatic that it is all of the whole complete every moment of every day time filled with evil and <laughs> with now, no exception well and now you get a glimpse of what that evil is uh -huh. verse nine these are the distant uh oh wait no sorry verse 11 now the earth was corrupt in God's sight, and the earth was filled with what? Uh, violence. Oh, what translation are you reading? NRSV, my man. Is there another? I don't know what translation this is set to. Oh, <laughs> the Berean standard. What? Oh, my God. I was looking Get at the this. Hebrew. I was looking at the Get Hebrew. Get this guy out of here. And God saw that the earth was corrupt, for all flesh had corrupted its ways upon the earth. Uh-huh. Okay. So, I, it, that is so interesting to me that God associates evil with violence and death and murder. Okay. Okay. Now, God ends up at a place where they think that they have to solve the problem. Okay. It's too bad. They've regret, they regret their decision. They find some. Start over. They, yeah, they find favor in Noah, some kind of righteous man, and they're going to start over. Now, when they decide they're going to start over, mm -hmm. what I think is so interesting is, well, we'll talk about 
Noah the character and starting over later in a second because I think that's important too. But when they dis- when they God decide that they're going to start over with Noah, they decide or at least the story communicates they're going to do this level of destruction by what? Flood water. Mm-hmm. Water. The first Thing we were introduced to in the story outside of God themselves. Chaos water. But this time, it's not chaos water. It's murder water. Well, it's water that comes from the sky. Oh. Which later becomes a different kind of metaphor, which we'll talk about on the New Testament side. Um, but God floods the earth. And it's important for me to remind you that every ancient Near Eastern community has a flood story. Yeah. This is not a uniquely Christian concept. Right. Every ancient Near Eastern culture had a flood story. The Epic of Gilgamesh is the oldest one that we have a remaining copy for. And like, but every ancient Near Eastern culture had one. So the flood happens and God destroys it all. There's this beautiful passage. Wait, who destroys it all? God. Is God a murderer? In that way, you would say that God did something that harmed creation, killed everything, Mm -hmm. everyone, I should say. Uh, Well, not everyone. Well, yeah, except for one family. One family. Okay, go ahead. So, um, bad God. So then, that story comes to a close, and that remember that righteous man that we were talking about? Yes. Yeah, that righteous man gets drunk. The first thing he does when he gets off um the the ship is joins pints and perspectives for strong ale and then he gets so drunk that he gets naked in a ditch. Well actually he plants a vineyard and makes wine and then How gets long did that drunk. take? Yeah. See, lore. Yes. Right. Um he gets drunk and he gets so drunk that he passes out naked in his tent. Hold on, pause. Uh uh, sidebar, uh, for those of you who read the Bible literally, I want you to think about the fact that wherever Noah set down, where like let's go literal reading science book view of the Bible. Okay, Noah is floating around on this ship. He lands in some location. He gets off the ship and he does what? He plants a vineyard. Cullen, when you when your dirt when your soil has been soaked in salt water. Is it capable of cultivating no. anything much no. less no. the complexity of no. grapes for wine? No. This is not a literal story. This uh, is not possible. Go ahead. Yeah, yeah. Well, I might say that if it were, if you were trying to read it literal, in order for there to be enough water to cover the mountaintops, which is what the Bible suggests, uh, it would need to be so much rainfall, which is fresh water, that it wouldn't matter how much oh, salt water you have. Maybe had. it wasn't even salt water. Maybe it was all fresh water well, because it was rain, only rain. If it's rain, yeah. But isn't... Okay, sorry. We're getting into... The, never mind. Proceed. Anyways, so the reason I tell you about his drunkenness is because Noah does exactly what God did. Got drunk. No. Noah realized that he messed up when he experienced his own nakedness, mm. his son walked into his tent and saw that he was naked. Then he went back and told 
his older brothers. And then those guys walked in backwards and covered him up. When Noah wakes up the next morning, realizes what happened, he goes outside and he does exactly what God did. Issues, curses. Starts cursing everybody because he's hungover. But he messed up because he oh. only cursed one person. Ham. Nope. Well, that's who that's who messed up. Oh. But it's not Ham that gets cursed. Turkey. It's Ham's son, Canaan. Oh, yeah, that's right. The innocent grandson Bad is the one that gets cursed. Bad Noah. Yep. It's the one that gets cursed. The innocent grandson named Canaan. So okay. a similar pattern happens of sin or the thing you're not supposed to do and then a, a revealing of nakedness and then curses being issued. But instead of God doing it, this time um, humans did it. Noah took that role of God and cursed an innocent. Cursed someone that had no wrongdoing in it. Mm. None. Story ends. Yeah. Good. Story ends. And wouldn't you know, the next thing you get's another genealogy. Another list of people maha, in existence. Maha. More time has passed. And now you get the Tower of Babel. Yes. Which, what is the Tower of Babel? It is all of human existence coming together for one purpose. To be like God. Chapter 11, verse 4. Come, let us build ourselves a city. Oh, wait, what did God build for humanity? A garden. A garden. And how did God say, let us make... Men in our image. Uh Okay. Let us... Build ourselves a city and tower with its top in the heavens and let us make a name for ourselves. Yep. They're trying to be like God. Uh Uh-huh. Power. Power. Ascent to power. And so God shows up and... Kills them all. Nope. He says, you know what? He had enough of that. I tried to murk y'all. God had enough of that. I tried to squish you uh, uh, under the weight of water. So now I'm going to just make you unable to communicate with one another. Yep. This God is bad at creating and bad at cursing. But isn't it interesting that God fixes both curses and specifically this one post-Jesus? Okay, so it's all about Jesus. Got it. Well, don't you think Genesis 11 is fulfilled in chapter uh, Acts chapter 2? Because of the tongue talking? Mm-hmm. The glossolalia? Mm-hmm. Is it fixed though? Because if I fight a if I if I fly to South Korea right now, I'm not gonna understand squat diddly. That's true. It's true. It's true. So I don't know if it's fixed. Fixed. I don't know if it's fixed. Fixed. But this is that threefold pattern, and yep. and there is so much more. But we are already way too long. Yeah, they gave up. Nobody's listening. Yeah, only only true. Kevin is still here. Hey, hey, Mister Ware. Hey, hey, hey! <laughs> shout out, shout out, pops. Uh, yeah. So the only like this threefold pattern. It is threefold of one pattern from Genesis 1 through 3. And it's about the story of how humanity forsook love, life, and community for the pursuit of power and used violence as their means. Love, life, and power. Then when it didn't work, they used innovation and building and construction. Technology. And so God shut that down too. Now. So God is against TikTok. 
Oh, I am. I. The power that is in your hands when you open that TikTok app. It's like God is there. It's like it's like it's like it's like accessing the heavens. Uh, who brought this guy? <laughs> Bring back Clayton. Thanks for listening to the Pints and Perspectives podcast hosted by Wellhouse Church. Be sure to give us a rating and a review if you enjoyed the episode. It's free and it helps us immensely. Also, feel free to check out our other podcasts.